Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic podcast, in the history of the Super Bowl, there are the haves and have-nots, winners and losers. But you can't ignore the games that were almost won. We take a look back on the Super Sunday history of the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr., All right, we're back. We're ready. No papers today. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for you and not for know-it-alls. If anything within the contents of this show is well-known by you, by all means, find another show. It's okay. But if you want to stay and listen, and please, like I say, correct me if I'm wrong, this show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we are here to do what? Enlighten, teach, and learn it is the behind the mic podcast i am your host michael neal jr presented by belly up sports and the belly up sports podcast network bellyupsports.com go there click on it spreaker apple podcast spotify google podcast amazon music stitcher iHeartRadio, youtube you can find the belly up sports family as well as this show not yet on youtube you can find the belly up sports podcast family on all of those platforms look no rundown this week as you know this was the week of the pro bowl now this time next week we're going to run down the super bowl cannot wait super bowl 56 a home game for the la rams at sofi stadium interesting uh and being a steelers fan i i have to honestly say i would not mind seeing joe burrow and the Bengals winning oh god i just swallowed uh, a thorn oh, did I say that forget I said that look I barely watched any of the Pro Bowl myself barely did but for those who have complained or are complaining and continue to complain don't take this the wrong way it's your own fault 
Why in the name of all that's holy would you expect anything else? If they're just having fun. They're not trying to get hurt, and it's just a fun game to play. When's the last time you've seen anybody get blown up? Sean Taylor, which that probably ended it when he knocked the life out of that punter, even though he got up and ran back to the sideline. But, I mean, it's a fun game. It's a fun game. I mean, just like the the all-star game for the NBA, even though they wake up in the fourth quarter and get semi-serious, it was just for fun. That's all. That's all. All right, the Bengals and the Rams, of course, they played this week in Super Bowl 56, and I thought it would be great to retrace the steps of past Bengal and Rams teams throughout their Super Bowl history. One history is a little more painful than the other. Yeah, Cincinnati, they've never won, and they've been twice. The Rams have one trophy and four tries. This Sunday will be their fifth chance, Cincinnati's third. And it's to be noted just how interesting both of these teams' Super Bowl history actually is, though. Every single game, every single Super Bowl they've played in, every one could have gone either way. The Rams could have had four trophies to this point. Cincinnati, they could be two for two. What happened? To answer these questions, we take you all the way back to 1979. Okay, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was a great year, 1979. ESPN launched. My wife was born. Michael Jackson released Off the Wall, his first single, single album, that is, on his own, his solo album. Joe Montana was drafted. And gas was 86 cents per gallon. God, we'd love to go back there, wouldn't we? I know I would. Everybody would. If you wouldn't, you're stupid. This was also the year that the L.A. Rams would reach the Super Bowl for the first time in their history, in their franchise history. Their opponent, the opposite, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were making their fourth appearance in six years. Pittsburgh was the first franchise at the time to win three Super Bowl championships, and they were looking not only to become the first franchise to win a fourth Lombardi Trophy, but also to win back-to-back championships twice. The Steelers rode to Super Bowl uh, 14. It was not easy. Yeah, they had a 12-4 record, but they had a lot of injuries, and it was kind of up and down all year long, losing the teams that they shouldn't have. And, you know, it's, it's football. It's sports, right? The LA Rams, though, totally different in some ways. The Rams, they had to deal with multiple injuries, even going into the big game. But their biggest was at starting quarterback. Quarterback Pat, Pat Hayden, excuse me, was lost for the season with a broken finger. And then you enter Vince Ferengamo. He was in his third year with the Rams, hadn't started a game, started five that season until, you know, Hayden got hurt. He starts. They go four and one with him as the starter. They finished the season, though, at nine and seven. Okay. Playoffs, they went to Dallas and Tampa Bay, and they upset both of those teams in the playoffs. And they were into Super Bowl 14 with the worst record of any team to ever get to the big game. Steelers, they took care of business. They beat the Dolphins. They beat the Oilers in the AFC Championship game, and they entered the game as 11-point favorites. January 20th, 1980, at the Rose Bowl, in the Rose Bowl, Pasadena, California, 103,985 screaming fans. You thought it was a, you would think it was a home game for the Rams. Not so. I mean, you had Rams fans there, plenty of them. But Steelers fans, as usual, they loaded the, the seats, right? But there's a couple of interesting things to know about this game. The Rams were coached by 
Raimondo Giuseppe Giovanni Baptiste Melavesi. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say it. That's his real name. Simply known as Ray Malavese, okay? But his coaching staff consisted of three former Steelers coaches. Defensive coordinator Bud Carson spent six years in Pittsburgh with Chuck Noll. He knew that defense, right? Also, offensive coordinator Lionel Taylor and D-line coach Dan Radakovich. They were on the Steelers' uh, their coaching staff for a significant time. Suffice to say, they knew the Steelers very well. They knew Terry Bradshaw very well. And keep in mind, Bradshaw being one of those quarterbacks uh, of the day that called his own plays, they knew his tendencies. They knew the offensive and defensive tendencies as well as their weaknesses. All you had to do was the Steelers was execute, right? Same thing for the Rams, just execute, right? Okay, well, as far as the game's concerned, halftime, LA actually led 13 to 10. Pittsburgh was not happy. But the funny part is, if you go back and watch that game, they had the camera on Chuck Noll, who was like the mean dude that never wanted the camera in his face and blah. There was a cameraman that was following him and he, he kind of played him off and, and, and acted like he was going to run over him and stuff. But you see him laugh and kind of jog, you know, going towards the, uh, towards the locker room. He was loose. The, the guy was brilliant. The guy was brilliant. I, I believe that was his real feelings. But it's like, look, we're here for the fourth time in six years. We just need to turn stuff around. They did, um, but you also must understand, as far as the team was concerned, Pittsburgh's defense wasn't the same, okay? They gave up that year in 79, the regular season gave up 262 points, which was the most since 1971. The last time Pittsburgh did not make the playoffs. They were still good, yeah, but they were aging. LC Greenwood, Joe Green, they were only two of the original steel curtain that was still left. No more Dwight White. Uh, no more Ernie Holmes. They had moved on since then. But you still had Jack Lambert. You still had Mel Blunt. They had uh, new guys that was on the team too. You had the Donnie Shells and the JT Thomases. But they weren't the same. They weren't the dominating defense. Pittsburgh, in the second half though, they came out with their hair on fire. Bradshaw hits Lynn Swan for a 47-yard touchdown. They take a 17-13 lead. But then the Rams would not go away. They scored back the next, I believe it was the next drive, halfback pass. They took a 19 to 13 lead. Their kicker, Frank Corral, missed the extra point. But there's also the fact that Swan was not from the game, yet another concussion, but that led to the three biggest plays of the game. Bradshaw threw three interceptions in that game. He got named MVP too. He threw two touchdowns. He threw for over 300 yards. He threw three interceptions, and he won MVP. Still don't understand that one. I get it, but I still don't understand it. But three of the biggest plays of the game, one was that I believe it was the defensive back. Oh, God, what was his name? Nolan Cromwell. Bradshaw, he should have been picked off a fourth time, and it was going to be either a pick six or they was going to get at least three points out of it. They would have went in deep into the fourth quarter, with a nine or, or or nine point lead or more had Cromwell held on to that interception. Instead, <clears throat> the Steelers end up taking the lead back on the biggest play of the game, which was a 73-yard touchdown pass to John Starworth on the play, 60-slot hook and go. Hadn't completed the pass all week long. Bradshaw didn't want to call it. Noel said call it. They did, and he scored on it the first time, and then the second time, 
they would connect on a on a pass play that ended up ending the game, leading to a touchdown that ended the game. Well, what happened? Um, well, the Rams got the ball back, and Ferragamo made his only mistake of the game, and he was near flawless in that game. He throws a pick deep in Steelers' territory. They're driving because the Steelers' defense haven't stopped the Rams all game. They're driving, and Ferragamo makes his only mistake. Jack Lambert picks him off, and this. <laughs> He returns it, what, 16 yards? And then the Steelers drive for that final touchdown to ice the game. Your final from the Rose Bowl was Pittsburgh 31, Rams 19. But what makes matters worse on that Ferragamo interception is that he had another wide receiver, Billy Waddy, who was wide open on the play, and Ferragamo did not see him. He went to another guy, threw over the middle. Go back and watch the game. It, it was a bad throw. Yeah, never saw him. Well, the 1999 Rams were a lot better. Their opponent in that Super Bowl, which was Super Bowl 34, would be the Tennessee Titans, the hometown team in which I live up under. They needed a Music City miracle to beat the Buffalo Bills, don't at me, in the first round before they beat the Colts and the Jaguars en route to the Georgia, the Georgia Dome. The St. Louis Rams, yes, they had moved from L.A. by then, or the greatest show on turf, they beat the Vikings in the divisional round before a hard-fought, controversial victory against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll get into that one day. Both teams came into the Super Bowl with the same 13-3 records. The Titans reached a big game for the first time in history, much like the Rams did years before, right? Of course, from 60 to 96, they were the Houston Oilers. But Adams said, all right, we're moving to Nashville. They did. And this team was loaded. Steve McNair, Eddie George, Frank Wycheck, Bruce Matthews, God, I miss those teams. Derek Mason, Javon Kurse, Samari Roll, Eddie Robinson, Blaine Bishop. Oh, quick, quick, a quick story. I got to throw something in. Just curveball. Uh, we were at a Vanderbilt game. My brother, for some reason, he's a Vanderbilt Commodores fan. We was at a Vanderbilt football game. They were playing the Florida Gators. I think it was around 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. And I believe uh, that's when Rex Grossman and Jabbar Gaffney, all those guys, they, they were ripping up uh, everybody. Well, Javon Curse was at the game, and my, my brother saw him and started, he said, Curse, and his mouth was hanging open just like you would see in the movies, and he slobbed. Yeah, that was gross. But anyway, the Rams, the Rams, the Rams, they had Marshall Falk, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, London Fletcher, Todd Light, Kevin Carter, and Mike Jones, very important guy. And there was the special story of a quarterback by the name of, yeah, Kurt Warner, who was sacking groceries, for those who don't know, only a couple of years or, uh, earlier. And he became the first quarterback in Super Bowl history to start the game who was undrafted. One of the greatest Super Bowls ever, hands down. But it didn't feel like it at first. The Rams had a 16 to nothing lead in the third, four, uh, third quarter, but then McNair and the Titans offense, they just flipped the switch. They tied the game at 16, and with a little over two minutes left to go, thought it was all over once Warner threw a 73-yard touchdown pass to Isaac Bruce. He floats the ball up there. Cornerback for the Titans, Denard Walker, didn't look like he'd come back to it. It was in bad position, and Bruce, uh, Bruce with a nice stop catch, and he just took it to the house on his own. Minute and 48 left, right? McNair and his team, they got to go 88 yards just to tie it. Tennessee gets to the 10. McNair, on the, on the play before, a miracle break of a tackle of two Rams to hit Kevin Dyson 
uh, for a first down. Six seconds left. McNair hits Dyson again over the middle. I know Titans fans, it was painful. And when I say the name Mike Jones, you pass out and, and you just double over in pain. Mike Jones makes the tackle on Dyson. You know, he's stretching the ball. I still remember getting the Tennessee and the newspaper on my apartment steps. Uh, right, I mean, right there on the porch of my apartment. And there's that giant picture. And I forgot the headline, but Dyson's holding the ball, trying to get over the line. It was too short. Too short. One yard short. The Rams and head coach Dick Vermeil, they were Super Bowl champions. And it was especially sweet for Vermeil, who was one time the Philadelphia Eagles coach way back in 1980, when the, in 81, when they lost to the Raiders in Super Bowl 15. Hmm. Two years later, the greatest show on turf was back. But the result was a little bit different. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. understand 2001 did not end on a great note here in america sure you know why september 11 2001 the twin towers fell the pentagon burned and passengers i would call heroes on united flight 93 died in philadelphia uh, in pittsburgh somewhere in in pennsylvania rather when they overtook a plane that was over that was taken over by terrorists and they crashed the plane in order to avoid it going into the White House, which was where it was going. Americans were not, uh, it was not short on heroes as we declared war on terror that year. Well, seemed fitting that the New England Patriots would win it all for the first time in his team's history of all of the years. Of course, they had been to the Super Bowl twice before. They lost to the Packers in 96 and they lost they got an epic beat down 46 to 10 to those 85 bears well in 2001 the st louis rams had nfl mvp kurt warner he established himself by then a 14 and 2 record and the greatest offense the nfl has ever seen it was led by of course Falk, warner bruce and holt the patriots were led by a six round draft pick pick 199 tom brady of course, he took over from Drew Bledsoe week two after the $100 million man suffered a collapsed lung internal bleeding against the Jets. Thanks a lot, Mo Lewis. Uh, the Rams, they were 14-point favorites in this game. The Patriots, 11-5, weren't exactly expected to do a whole lot. Or put up much of a fight. Draw, you had the tuck rule game a couple game, a couple weeks earlier. You know, it looked out against the Raiders on a would-be fumble. Mm. Super Bowl 36 in New Orleans. It was the Patriots, though, 
who shockingly led the Rams 17-3 in the third quarter. Remember, they were 14-point favorites. They, they were 14-point favorites. That's a lot of points. And they were down 17-3. They were down 14 points. The Rams woke up, though. Two touchdowns later, the game was tied at 17. Then came the first walk-off Super Bowl ever. No timeouts. A minute and 21 left. Of course, Brady, he drives New England all the way to the Rams' 30-yard line. From there, Adam Ventieri kicked a 48-yard field goal with seven seconds left to win the game. No second trophy for the Rams. 14-point favorites. And they couldn't get it done. Ball bounce is funny. I mean, ask the Patriots a couple of years later when they were undefeated and played the Giants. Anyway, 17 years later, the Patriots and the Rams meet again, this time in Super Bowl 53, Atlanta, Georgia. The Rams were there for Tom Brady's first Super Bowl win as a Patriot, and they would be there for his last Super Bowl win as a Patriot. As a Patriot. But let's be real, this was the worst Super Bowl ever. My eyes bled as I watched that game, but I couldn't take my eyes off of it. It was a defensive battle, much reminiscent of college football fans of LSU and Alabama when they kicked a bunch of field goals. That yeah, that was that was hard to watch um, in prime time. But yeah, it was the worst, worst Super Bowl ever. Um, and there was little highlights to show. The 11-5 Patriots, the 13-3 Rams, they had since moved back from uh from St. Louis, moved from St. Louis to LA. And Brady and Belichick, they were still around. Uh Vermeil had retired after that win against the Titans. Fast forward through Mike Martz and a couple other coaches, Jeff Fisher, and they've hired Sean McVay in 2017 at the age of 30, making him the youngest head coach in modern NFL history. The Rams were in the Super Bowl for uh, in his second year. Unfortunately for the Rams, that high-powered offense led by Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, Robert Woods, Josh Reynolds, Brandon Cooks. I mean, Cooks, he had a really good game. Eight catches, 120 yards, but the Rams scored no touchdowns. The halftime score, New England three, L.A. Zippo. <laughs> and you got only a couple million people that's watching this game with all of these ads and commercials. Um, but it Rams, they did have the longest punt in Super Bowl history. Was that exciting or what? Johnny Hecker, 65 yards. Anyway, perhaps the biggest play, though, came with 3.42 left to go in the third quarter. Golf, he launches a ball with 38 yards into the end zone. Brandon Cooks was all by himself, and Jason McCourty made the play of plays, came off his man, knocks the ball out of the hands of Cooks, saves the touchdown. Zero line kicks a 53-yard field goal instead. Game's tied at three, right? Well, the, final, the Patriots finally put a drive together with 8.50 left to go in the game. At one point, the Patriots ran the same play three times in a row. And Rob Gronkowski, he catches a pass. It gets all the way down to the two-yard line of L.A. And Sony Michelle, yes, the Sony Michelle that plays for the Rams now, punches it in, putting the Patriots up 10-3. to three. That was pretty much it. The Rams had one more chance, though, to tie the score. 429 left. Goff, he hits Cooks right in the hands. Beautiful pass right down around the one-yard line. And as Cooks is falling into the end zone, Stephon Gilmore knocks the ball loose with a little help. I forget who the other DB was. And the ball is incomplete. Next play, Gilmore picks Goff off at the three-yard line. And the Patriots literally ran the football down the Rams' throat. 
kicked another field goal, and that was it. Brady, Belichick, the Patriots, they get their sixth Lombardi trophy. Brady becomes the oldest quarterback to win uh, the Super Bowl at age 41. Yes, I know about Steve DeBerg. He's 45 years old, and he was a backup for Atlanta. That don't count. Um, the Rams, now they're back uh, for their fifth chance uh, this Sunday uh, coming up as four-and-a-half-point favorites against the Cincinnati Bengals. As far as the Bengals are concerned, this will be their third chance at getting their first championship. Why haven't they won yet? Maybe if a certain Hall of Fame coach had named a different successor. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Again, the years 1979. I'm hearing that, you know, that, that disco music. <laughs> it was a special year, especially for an eventual Hall of Fame coach. The San Francisco 49ers hired Bill Walsh in 1979 to take over a team that had yet to even sniff a championship. Uh, in the Super Bowl era. I mean, they were 2-14 the year that they hired him. But it's Walsh's coaching background that makes the Cincinnati Bengals story interesting. For those who haven't listened to any of my past episodes, I've highlighted the role that Hall of Fame Browns and Bengals head coach Paul Brown played in the career arc of Bill Walsh. For eight years, Walsh was an assistant coach for Brown and the Cincinnati Bengals. He was both the quarterbacks and wide receivers coach and was the de facto offensive coordinator for what? The final couple of seasons under Brown in the late set going to the mid seventies. That is Paul Brown. He had been coaching for over 40 years, 41 to be exact. And that included high school, college, as well as the pros. He was going to retire at the end of the 75 season. A successor was needed. It would be between two men, Walsh, and offensive line coach Bill Tiger Johnson. Problem is, and I'll just throw this in here now, Brown has spoken to both men on around the same time on separate occasions, leading them both to believe they had the job, separately that is. When he retired, one of them was going to have the job, and I totally believe he knew what he was doing. I think he knew who he wanted to coach, and maybe it was a test. I don't know. Well, Paul Brown preferred Tiger Johnson. Why? He's described as being a lot like Paul Brown. I mean, if you're a controlling head coach who was a great and innovative champion, a multi-time champion coming into the coming to the Bengals, and I mean, they made the playoffs <laughs> in the 70s, but they couldn't get past the Steelers or the Oilers, or even the Raiders for that matter. Um, but I'm going to hire somebody that's a little bit more like me. Well, Bill Walsh, I guess, according to reports, everything that I've read and studied, he was too emotional for Brown. And he didn't think he would make sound judgments, even though he knew he was an offensive genius. And he was working with Ken Anderson and Isaac Curtis and all of you know this great offense and made the changes and, and did the things that he did. He did not trust him as a head coach. 
you ever hear the guys who's supposed to be coordinators only? I think that's basically what Brown thought of Bill Walsh. So guess which coach Brown went with? And of course, Bill Walsh was hot. There was another issue though. Apparently, another one of Brown's requirements was loyalty. Unlike head coaches of today, that will vouch for their guys of being future head coaches, not to say that they want to lose them. I don't care if it's college uh, or pros, or even high school for that matter. That was not in Brown's DNA. He was only concerned about the Cincinnati Bengals. When the Cincinnati Bengals were formed, they made Paul Brown not only the head coach, he was the GM and the majority owner. So what he said was, it was what it was going to be. He could care less about any young anybody on his coaching staff with dreams of becoming a head coach, especially if it was outside of Cincinnati. I'll explain. What does that mean? Anyone that showed interest in Bill Walsh had the door excuse me, shut in their face, and it did not stop there. Brown gave teams negative reports in order to keep Walsh. Not great. Yeah, Bill Walsh was elevated to offensive coordinator when Johnson was coached uh, chosen as the head coach but that's not what he was led to believe he was supposed to be next and who could blame him Paul Brown knew what kind of off offensive mind he had in Walsh and that's why he brought him in in 1968 when the bingo started playing uh, the 1975 offense for the Bengals had risen to number one in the league and most of that was due to Bill Walsh the, the words are not minced not to mention his work, like I said, with Isaac Curtis and Charlie Joyner as receivers and Ken Anderson, who was the key component to that offense. Quick note, we all know he was basically the father of the West Coast offense, and that offense gets the ball out of the hands of a quarterback quickly, much like what we see today. Why was that offense developed? Because, eh, I'll say it, Tiger Johnson, his offensive line wasn't good enough to sustain blocks. Hmm. Anyway, and not to mention Johnson worked under Bill Walsh. Just throw that in too. So, a couple of days after Johnson was named the head coach, Walsh let Paul Brown know, he, he let him know that I'm out of here. Brown told Walsh he couldn't leave because he was still on the contract. He rolled out anyway, and it was at that time after leaving when Walsh found out that other teams were inquiring about him and about the negative reviews as well as the fact that he was never told Brown by Brown of any of the teams that were asking about his services. And because the NFL rules prohibited Walsh from making a lateral move from one team to another, the newly promoted Bengals offensive coordinator, he moved to the San Diego Chargers as the assistant head coach in 1976. And after three years of coaching Stanford Walsh, uh, he was hired by Eddie DeBartlow Jr. to become the head coach of the 49ers. Meanwhile, Paul Brown had screwed up. Bill Johnson lasted three years and resigned in 78 after losing his first five games. Then they went with Homer Rice. He was eight and 19. Then they got uh, Forrest Gregg, a coach who was used to winning as a player. Gregg was a Hall of Famer, a Hall of Fame offensive lineman to be exact, exact, who played with Lombardi's Packers in the 1960s. Now, he took the Bengals from 6 and 10 in 1980 to 12 and 4 in 1981. Paul Brown finally had his man. And that team was loaded on offense uh, as well as defense. Defensively, Cincinnati had three guys with double digits in sacks. 
Reggie Williams, uh, Ross Brown, um, and uh, I forgot the one guy, last name Edwards. But the offense, they were led by league MVP Ken Anderson, along with a 1,000-yard running back in Pete Johnson, a receiving core that included Isaac Cur- uh, Curtis, Dan Ross at tight end, and a little future NFL broadcaster out of Florida by the name of Chris Collinsworth, who led the team in yards and touchdowns, by the way. Anderson, Johnson, and Collinsworth, they were all pro bowlers. And that squad beat the Buffalo Bills in San, uh, and the San Diego Chargers in route to Super Bowl 16 that was being played for the first time in the cold, the Pontiac Silver Dome in Detroit. Thank God for the dome because it was negative temperatures outside. Now, Bill Walsh had a steady climb with the Niners. 79, they repeated that 2 14 record. In 1980, they were 6 10. In 81, they had the best record in the league at 13 3. Of course, after beating the New York Giants in the divisional round, Joe Montana started building that legend of his in the NFC Championship game win against the Dallas Cowboys. Montana to Dwight, uh, Dwight Clark, the catch, it put the 49ers in the Super Bowl. To go along with Montana and Clark on offense, the defense, they drafted three starters uh, in the defensive backfield. They were hurting in the defensive backfield. Corners, safeties, they couldn't cover a bed with a sheet. So they went and got Ronnie Lott, as he was an all-pro as a rookie, and Dwight Hicks made the Pro Bowl as a rookie as a safety, and Carlton Williamson, Jack Reynolds, and Fred Dean, and Keener Turner. There were other guys that they had on that squad. And you already know the storyline, though. <laughs> that was obviously there of Super Bowl 16. Bill Walsh versus his former team in the Bengals. Or you know, Paul Brown versus Bill Walsh. Any way you slice it, both squads had a reason to beat the other. Outside of the obvious. It was the first Super Bowl appearance by either team. San Francisco was a one-point favorite. The 49ers had a 20 to nothing lead at halftime. So it looked like they was running away with it. But the and the Bengals they were shut out and uh, shut out in the first half mostly because of what a red zone interception, a Collinsworth fumble, and a successful onside kick recovered by San Francisco. Things were looking good until the second half. Both the Bengals offense and defense turned it up a notch, and the Bengals actually outscored the 49ers 21 to six in the second half. The biggest stand though was by the 49ers defense. Who had the greatest, who they what they called the greatest goal line stand in NFL history. Uh, they were down on what the one yard line and they did not let them in. Fourth down, they went with Pete Johnson. 49ers defense would not let them in. So San Fran kicker Ray Wershing, uh, he tied a Super Bowl record with four field goals, and he knocked down that last one with two minutes left to go. And they San Francisco was up 26 to 14. 49ers won the game. 26 to 21 uh and bill walsh he exacted a measure of revenge on his old team and boss paul brown fast forward to 1988 this one had to hurt worse bill walsh had built the 49ers uh into 49ers into one of the best teams in the league they were looking at dynasty right and then, of course they ended up the 80s uh as the team of the decade the 84 49ers they won super bowl 19 and after being upset as Super Bowl favorites in the divisional round of the playoffs in 87 by the Vikings, they were back in the big game in Miami. Super Bowl 23. This new squad had, what, Jerry Rice, Roger Craig, John Taylor, 
Michael Carter, Bill Romanowski, who actually was a backup, but he played a lot. And Charles Haley. Yes, Ronnie Lott and Joe Montana was still great. Um, and the team actually was a little more up and down that season after being, what, I think 14-2 the year before. No, actually, uh, they were like one game shy of that because of the strike. But they finished 10-6 in 88. They got back to the Super Bowl even after all of the, the mess that they had to go through, through through that season. And they did so by exacting some revenge on the Vikings before traveling to Chicago, shutting the Bears out of the end zone en route to Miami. The Bengals, they had a new coach in Sam Weiss. He was a 49ers assistant himself under Walsh. Uh, there was no more Ken Anderson at quarterback, but he was replaced by 1988 NFL MVP, Norman Julius Esiason, boomer to his friends. The offense featured rookie Icky Woods, James Brooks, and then they had Eddie Brown, Rodney Holman, future Hall of Famer Anthony Munoz, left tackle. He was still around. They had an all-pro nose tackle, Tim Crumrod, who actually broke his leg, I believe, in the first quarter of the game. And they had Pro Bowl uh, defensive backs Eric Thomas and David Fulcher. They had a nice, well-rounded team. They finished the season 12-4. They beat the Seahawks and the Bills in the playoffs. The 49ers, they were favored once again, this time by seven, over the number one overall seed in the AFC. This despite a season, like I said, full of injuries and controversy. For the first time in the career of Joe Montana, his job had been in jeopardy. Um, Steve Young, who was brought in, he wanted to start. At the, like I said, remember, the team did finish 10-6. They lost 10, six games. They had to like win out at the end of the season just to get into the playoffs. And then they come into this game favored by seven. That's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> you, you really made some improvement. So when uh, the 23rd Super Bowl was played, January 22nd, 1989, the game was tied at three by halftime. Not a lot of scoring going on. My basic summary of the game is this. Cincinnati Bengals, who had a league MVP and a pretty potent offense, scored zero touchdowns in the game. Not one. The offense didn't score one touchdown. It was a bunch of field goals. And I guess the 49ers defense, when they pick you off once and then they get five sacks, that kind of helps. The only touchdown Cincinnati had came from Stanford Jennings, returning the kickoff for a touchdown. Other than that, the 49 the 49ers offense was the one rolling up the yards. Montana finished the game, I think, with 357 yards passing and two touchdowns. No interceptions, all right? 11 touchdowns, no interceptions in all four Super Bowls in which he played. Yeah, Montana, baby. But um, Jerry Rice, he finished with a then Super Bowl record 11 catches, 215 yards, and one touchdown. Don't get me wrong. Both defenses playing well. You know, like I said, there was a gazillion field goals in this game. But the MVP for the Bengals was Jim Breach. He was responsible for 10 of Cincinnati's 16 points. But it all came down to the 49ers' final drive. If you don't know the story, here it goes. The Bengals were three minutes and 10 seconds away from their first championships. For, for the first championship, the 49ers were 92 yards away. Joe Montana went Joe Montana. Drove San Francisco all the way down the field before hitting John Taylor with his only catch of the day for a 10-yard touchdown, and there were 34 seconds left in the game. The Bengals' offense came up empty. They, they couldn't do anything in 34 seconds. They ain't scored all day. You really think they're going to drive in 34 seconds? 
negative Ghost Rider. So the 49ers, they finished established as a dynasty with those three Super Bowls in the 80s. Cincinnati went 0-2 in the Super Bowl and 0-2 against Bill Walsh. The 49ers, they would go on the win the next year, and they tried to go three-peat uh, after they beat the trash out of the Broncos in New Orleans, 55-10. Still a record today. Uh, the Giants upset them. I'm still upset about that, by the way. But what happened to the Bengals after the Super Bowl? It's about them, right? Sam Weiss, who coached them until 1991, I mean, it wasn't pretty. Uh, they never repeated uh, double-digit wins. I think they had an 8-8 eight and eight year, but his last year, they were 3-13, and 13, which coincidentally was the same year that Paul Brown passed away. Then they had they went through a bunch of coaches. They tried to bring in Don Shula's son, Mike. Didn't work. Bruce Coslett didn't work. Hall of Fame uh, to be, if he, well, yeah, Hall of Famer. Dick LeBeau, defensive coordinator for the Steelers, didn't work. Marvin Lewis, although they had some really, really good years, I think he coached them, what, 18 years, I think it was? It was a long time. But he was 0-7 in the playoffs. 0-7. Oh, in 2019, like I said, this year I have to apologize I thought Zach Taylor would be fired by the end of the season. This was his third year. And normally when you don't, when you have win 33% of your games, you don't normally get to keep your job. But he's got the Bengals in the Super Bowl. In 19, 2019, they hired Zach Taylor. And they went from 2-14 his first year to 10-7 this year. And then it helps when you have Joe Burrow at quarterback, who was drafted number one last year. Jamar Chase. Uh, Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, and Von Bell, Larry Okunjobi, uh, Tyler Boyd, Trey Hendrickson. They've got some players. They just have to maintain and sustain it. They have a shot. They beat Kansas City twice. <laughs> and Kansas City, man, golly, were they up and down. I, I just can't see them losing the game. But at the same time, the Rams defense, I don't see them giving up what these other teams are giving up. But you can't bet against Joe Burrow. <laughs> you really can't. They have a shot. The Bengals have a shot. And I told you earlier uh, in earlier shows, they're like roaches. The Bengals simply won't die. They won't. The Rams, they've had success of late. Uh, many believe it was because they had to change at quarterback. I love Jared Goff, but when you have to feed a guy plays all the way up until the mic goes out in your helmet, maybe you get somebody that can call his own plays. And Matt Stafford, he was the key. He left a dire situation in Detroit. As long as he doesn't turn the football over, they're the greatest team that money can buy. Ash Shoney Michelle, OBJ, Cooper Cup. Well, Cooper Cup was one of the originals. Uh, Jalen Ramsey. Then you had Aaron Donald and Von Miller and Leonard Floyd, Ashawn Robertson. They're favored by four and a half points. Well, let's see what happens. Somebody's either going to get there first or their second. <laughs> It's going to be one or the other. I can't wait to talk about it next Tuesday. And you know what else is really crazy? And I promise I'll shut up. It's really crazy to think of this one simple fact. Both the Rams and Bengals franchises were there at the beginning of two of the NFL history's greatest dynasties. The San Francisco 49ers and the New England Patriots. Also remarkable that the Rams were there for the end of the Steelers dynasty as well as Tom Brady's last Super Bowl win as a New England Patriot. But if Brady stays retired, the Rams were the last team he faced in his Hall of Fame career. 
Joe Burrow, though, he's just getting started. References, let's get to them. Thanks to ProFootballReference.com, uh, ThePeopleHistory.com. Also, a uh, pretty good article, DogsByNature.com, uh, written by Barry Shuck, December of 2018, when Paul Brown resigned as head coach. <laughs> uh, ThePostGame.com, remembering the day the St. Louis Rams won the Super Bowl on the tackle. Also, a couple of books, of course, The Sporting News, Complete Super Bowl Book 1993 Edition, Tom Dinert, Joe Hopple, and Dave Sloan, the co-authors. And also another co-authored book, America's Game, the NFL at 100, Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams. And a new book, I'm, I'm loving it so far, Paul Brown, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again, a football of football's most innovative coach, written by Anthony O'Toole. This has been the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Billy of Sports, the Billy of Sports Podcast Network. BillyOfSports.com. Not only do you want to listen to some great shows, but you can read some great articles. Very good creatives that we have in the Billy of Sports family. Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Again, you don't listen to my show, or if you don't tell your friends and family about it, I'm going to find your house. I'm out. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.